uh, here's my first question. Do you think it's a little dangerous handing out guns in a bank? Did you know that we're just one hammer and chisel away from freedom? Hello and welcome once again to Michael and Us, a depressing, nostalgic journey through the life, art, and influence of Michael Moore. I'm Will Sloan. I'm here as always with... Luke Savage. And uh, we're here before a live studio audience this week for the first time. Uh, Our our good friend Jasmine Chorley Foster is here. Yeah, say hi Hi. Jasmine just from a distance. She joined us to watch uh, this week's movie, Where to Invade Next. I'm glad she's here because we saw Where to Invade Next like a year ago. Yeah, and I've seen it uh, actually since because I wrote a review for Jacobin Magazine. So... Yeah, this was this would yeah. have been like some pretty intense suffering otherwise. We needed a new set of eyes on com- this. Comradeship and like a a large helping of irony like helped us through this one. I would say that like when we started this podcast, like one of my big bits of trepidation was the fact that I have to watch this movie again. Yes, exactly right. Well, I think we and I've been dreading it every week. I feel like every week we've mentioned this movie as this looming this looming obstacle yeah yeah well if you remember the uh conversation which originated this podcast in uh comedy bar yes. way back in kind of the dog days of like spring mm-hmm. one of the things that came up was like you're like oh but then we'll have to watch like where to invade next again and i agreed with you mm-hmm. and so the podcast was almost kind of interdicted right then and there here we are but it was kind of interesting watching it this time because you and I saw this movie at the 2015 Toronto International Film Festival. And when we saw it, I think it had been a few years since either of us had actually watched a Michael Moore film. That's right. So And it, and it reignited our, yeah. our our passion and our, like, like our, our uncontrolled zeal for all things Michael Moore. But, like, I was kind of going into it at that point in this spirit of, oh, it's been a while since I've seen old Michael. Let's, uh... Let's see how things are doing in the in the moralverse. And I'm watching it for the second time now, having like spent 17 weeks Ugh. immersed in his body of work. Kill me. So like I I know at this point more about Michael Moore than I've ever known in my life. So it was a bit different in that sense. Like as the movie started this time, I had this feeling of oh god, not another Michael Moore movie. Whereas the first time I saw it, it was more like, oh, okay, another Michael Moore movie. Yeah. <laughs> Until about 10 minutes in when it started to get awful. When it's like, oh, another Michael Moore movie, kill me. Yeah. Um, before we get into the movie, can we talk about, I don't know, some like Michael and us related things? So, some like what's happening in the world of politics these days? Yeah. I mean, um, did you see the debate? I mean, for, first and foremost, this is a current affairs podcast. Um, as anyone who listens to it knows, this is not a kind of like, retrieving things from the past which are no longer relevant uh kind of podcast this is like we're in the zeitgeist we're in the now that's uh, what i tell people when i describe this podcast i i keep saying because every whenever i say oh i do a michael moore podcast people look at me funny <laughs> and they say, why would anybody want to listen to that and i say no no don't you see it's like looking at these movies through today's eyes Ugh. but anyway um yeah i mean and uh the people whose eyes glaze over uh when they hear that you know there there may be something to that but um let's i don't know talk about you know i was thinking today about the very first episode we did in the series which uh which if you remember kind of concluded with one of the great 
pop songs of our time. Al Gore lives on my street. Yeah. Um, Al Gore lives on my street, right down the street from me. Whoa, President Gore. And the song was basically about, isn't it crazy that Al Gore won the popular vote? Yeah, I mean, you sung way but, too much of that because I don't know, <laughs> I don't know anybody for whom that song was not kind of formative to their understanding of pop. Music. I mean, it's it's my or, go-to karaoke number. Yeah, or or like by extension, like I don't know anyone for whom like Al Gore personally was not like formative to their politics, which like brings us to you know our kind of first segment tonight, which is um, our first segment. <laughs> When have we had segments? Well, I mean, it's like, it's, you know, you think this is a joke, but um, our first segment tonight, the uh, Michael and us press clips. Um, <laughs> should, uh, should we do a little bit of music? Press clips, Michael and us, press clips. <laughs> you know, so a uh, friend of the show, Al Gore, was in the... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We're gonna have to edit this. No, no, no. I'm not gonna be able to keep it together. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Al Gore was in the news. <laughs> Sorry, but we really are. So, uh, did you hear this? Uh, Al Gore was back in the news. You hear this, Kevin? <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> friend of the show, Al Gore, was in the news. <laughs> <laughs> No, so th- so this is this is what happened. I'll take over. Yeah, please do. The, we're we're in the if if you're listening to this twenty years in the future, perhaps uh, uh, we're in the waning days of the 2016 election, and in a in a I swear to Christ, a bid for millennials, the Hillary campaign has recruited Al Gore to campaign with uh, with Hillary. And I I invite Hillary Clinton. That is yeah. Um, as yeah. Uh, and I invite anyone uh, who's listening. To Google as I did, to, well, to search search on Twitter for like Al Gore campaigning for Hillary or something, and you'll find uh, probably the most sublime headline photo combination in existence, certainly to this point in the history of social media, which will be like a headline. It'll be something like you know Al Gore to campaign with Hillary Clinton in bid to attract millennials, and then it will invariably be accompanied by a photo of Al Gore. But at this point, you know. Like, his hair is very gray, but, you know, he remains the same person he always was, which is the kind of, um, like, offensively boring liberal incrementalist that he was (laughs) in 2000 that cost him the 2000 election. So, like, I mean, if I'm, you know, Peter Dow or any other, you know, genius kind of Clinton surrogate, and I'm looking at the political landscape and I'm thinking... There are still young people that have reservations about Hillary and, like, you know, her. she's fundraising with billionaires, she's campaigning with the Bush cabinet, she's a little too close to Wall Street. It's like, what is the solution here? And, you know, there's only one answer, really, and it takes, like, the political genius of someone like Peter Dow or Tom Watson uh, or some of the other, like, mm-hmm. you know, top-notch talent working with Hillary 
And it's like, get me Al Gore on the phone right now. There's nothing else that will bring millennials on side. Yeah, well, like I, feel, Al Gore. I feel like a lot of them are still Fucking kind of animal charisma. You remember? I think there are a lot. A lot of them are in that mindset still of it's 2007, and uh, you know, it looks like the Republicans are going to hold the White House forever. And who is the one Democrat who everyone Ugh. loves? It's the star of an inconvenient truth, did, did Al you, Gore. Well, did you? But, but you did remember you know that. that Al won the popular vote? Like he actually didn't lose the 2000 election. He won the popular vote. That's true. Yeah. Six years since anyone's seen him. But when our nation needs help, America's secret weapon is the only one who can save us. USA! Yeah! My mission? I will invade countries with names I can mostly pronounce. Take the things we need from them and bring it all back home. Because we have problems no army could solve. I'm going to tell you from my own personal life, abstinence works. One man will search the world for answers, and you won't believe what he'll find. You're in prison for murder. Yeah. Right behind you are a whole bunch of very sharp knives. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Prepare to be shocked. This is what American children eat for lunch. It's like an episode of CSI here. Get ready for the movie that is so dangerous. I'm going to plant the American flag in your living room. Uh, the powers that be don't want you to see. How much debt do you have here being a student? Do you know what I mean by debt? Not really. Debt is when you owe other people a whole lot of money. No, <laughs> we don't have it. We don't have it. The American dream seemed to be alive and well everywhere but America. How can you feel okay with it? I don't feel okay about it. Every kid should have the same opportunity to have education and health care. If the world can't be saved, it will be women that do that. We stay together. We open our hearts. We open our society. If they can do it, surely we can. I've turned into this kind of crazy optimist. Three years ago, gay marriage in the United States was outlawed. Now, law of the land. It really proves anything can happen. Papa, Manjun does a restaurant ce soir? Oui, Papa, do you know what deal? Excellent today. Me demande à Mama de voir. I know the Palipata restaurant. Papa, Mama. Voilà le dîner. Is there anything else uh, you want to complain about? Because, I mean, well, you've, I did, you've been despondent these last few weeks at the state of this election. Well, I have, but I'm not sure it's for any reason that we haven't kind of covered already. Yeah. Did you watch the VP debate last night? No, no. 
I watched the the Hillary versus Donald debate. Right, we already talked about that. What yeah. did you do instead last night? I went to see a movie. Yeah, I went to see Billy Bragg, which was fantastic and was, I think, yeah. pretty therapeutic. Uh, then I went out drinking. I always like, I've been doing some of that tonight. Yeah, we're you doing can that perhaps right now. tell. Yeah. I'm, I'm on my third drink right now. Yeah, fantastic. Um, So let's talk about uh, where to invade next. Let's, I don't know, give a little summary and then let's get into kind of kvetching about the movie because I think we had a lot of problems with it. So I think that what Michael Moore thinks that his big problem is, he, he thinks the reason he hasn't been that effective is that he's been too divisive. So he has decided to make like his happiest movie, his most upbeat movie. The premise of the film in a somewhat facetious opening scene is that the United States government, the Pentagon, has called Michael Moore to say, listen, we've lost all of our wars, uh, Iraq, Vietnam, everything. We need you to go overseas and take the good ideas from European nations and bring them back to America to save our democracy. So that's basically it. it we see him visit, I don't know, seven or eight different countries, maybe uh, Germany, France, Tunisia, Norway, whatever taking good ideas whether it be no homework or free tuition he's not taking them well he's invading and occupying the country he's he's actually like he's actually like expropriating the ideas and and bringing them back across the atlantic right that's the and and we often see him like planting an american flag you know in the ground that's right because he's not fucking around (laughs) yeah it's like this is serious but i mean despite that gimmick this is his most upbeat it's his least incendiary and i would say his most boring film this is the movie that as i watched it i thought if michael moore were a newspaper columnist i wouldn't read him yeah and i also think his hair is dumb (laughs) so the invasion begins in italy there's a hilarious piece of voiceover narration where michael moore said we see a lot of footage of like people in bikinis kissing and sharing gelato and kissing and michael moore says have you ever noticed in Italy, everyone looks like they just had sex? Which is an example of some of the hilarious comedy that we hear in this film. I mean, I don't know. I've been to Italy. I noticed a lot of people who look a lot like Antonin Scalia there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's not quite like that. Uh, and, and like youth unemployment when Michael Moore was filming this, like hit sort of 35% or whatever. He believe it or not doesn't mention that but basically the thing that he takes from italy is the fact that they have i don't know what is it four weeks paid vacation something like that that. and but america has maybe people in america have maybe one week two weeks tops so that we need more paid vacation and also people get an extra long lunch hour in italy this is the point of the movie where more in his narration says of course italy has its problems like all countries do but I'm here to pick the flowers, not the weeds. Which, I mean, the minute he says that, I'm like, okay, I don't take this movie seriously. Right, I mean, this is the, this is the problem with this movie is that, I mean, consistently, you know, like, the people he interviews are earnest. The countries that he visits, you know, they do have good ideas, which the United States would probably benefit from. But he's unable to kind of speak to these people or speak to these ideas in a way that isn't kind of idealized to the point of absurdity. And it's we start with Italy, where I mean, there's this really like absurdly florid portrayal of Italy. It's just like this country where everybody is like super photogenic and they make a great wage and they're totally like selfless. 
and they're just like fucking mm-hmm. all the time. And it's like unemployment in Italy, like for people under thirty, was like thirty five percent while he's filming this movie. And mm-hmm. I just think he can't really, he can't sort of have it both ways. He can't sort of say. On the one hand, like, well, you know, countries have their problems, but I'm here to pick the flowers and all the weeds and, and just, like, ignore that. Mm-hmm. Like, the problems that he's ignoring are structural. Like, Italy was governed by Silvio Berlusconi for, like, a decade, and he, believe it or not, does not bring that up. And mm-hmm. I just think that uh, that really weakens his analysis in this film. He also has this tone that he introduces in this segment that's kind of like, I mean, he's, as an interviewer, he's doing this ugly American shtick. Where he's going like, now, 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 wait a minute, you're telling me that you got four weeks vacation? Or he'll interview some factory owners and he'll say, wait, you're, you're okay that there are unions here? But, right. but you realize you own a factory, right? Are you paid for these weeks? Yeah, sure. Because uh, every year we usually have like 30, 35 days of, uh, you know, holidays. Paid, paid holiday. We are paid. So wait, that's... Five days a week, that's seven weeks. Plus we have the national holidays. How many are there of those? Days, 12, 14. So that's another week or two. You say il Santo Patrono. Ah, each city has a Saint Patron. Patron say, yeah. It's a city holiday. And you're paid for the stay? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And when you get married, you yeah. have 15 days more. Yeah. 15, wait a minute. 15. When you get married, you have 15 days paid holiday? To go yes. on honeymoon. To go on honeymoon, yes. yes. They pay they, for your honeymoon. Yes. yes. They pay for your honeymoon. Yes. Eight weeks paid vacation. On the one hand, he's being ironic, but there's this element of when he talks to people where it's like, well, you know, these are these are simple folk. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, this <laughs> is uh, what in the review I call his, uh, you know, bemused Midwesterner shtick. And is, is this is... A problem that I think we've observed hitherto with Michael Moore, but which in this film is really kind of taken to its most absurd extreme, which is where like Michael Moore, it's Michael Moore does this thing where he pretends to be dumber than he is. Mm -hmm. And he kind of, he can't just kind of interview people in a sincere way. He has to kind of get them to repeat the same things over and over again. And he has to pretend to be surprised. Mm -hmm. He has to like squeeze kind of theatrics out of it when like, he could just make the same point by being sincere and just interviewing people and talking but, to them. But in doing so, he kind of condescends to them. Because right. he'll do things like he'll say, but but you're okay with the workers having collective bargaining agreements? And person who runs the company will be like, well, yes, of course, they they deserve to have the rights. Same, the workers, so, they so, are more so, productive when so, they... Uh, you know, like, and, and, uh, and basically... Even though he's doing this ugly American shtick, he also conveys this idea that, oh, well, the Europeans, they're simple folk. They don't realize that they could be, you know, bilking more money out of their workers. That's exactly right. I mean, he asks, you know, there's a scene where um, in the Italy vignette when he kind of asks the Italian factory owners, so like, but you could be richer. And they're like, what's the point of being rich or whatever? And it just... Yeah, it, there's a kind of a, like, almost like an Orientalist, uh, you yeah. know, like, streak to this, but, like, with Europeans, it's Also, weird. Also, I, 
I'm, I feel very confident in having been immersed in his work over the last 17 weeks. He, he is not funny. No. Like, as a culture, like, you know, 25 years ago, we told him that he was funny, and we were wrong. Like, yeah, and he's been hiding <laughs> that ever since. The humor... in on that. The humor in this movie is, like, sub-Borowitz level. Yeah. Where, like, like there will be a scene where he's talking to somebody from Paris, and uh, more in the narration will say, You know you're in trouble when the french pity you well and it's you like s- go to hell and you said like about a minute into the french uh vignette you're like well he's gonna bring up like pepe Le Pew. and jasmine and i laughed yeah and sure enough that exact thing happened. yeah we saw a clip of pepe Le Pew. it's like the lowest hanging fruit oh that he could God. possibly there's another scene when he's in norway when the letter w is not in the in no, the, that's slovenia oh slovenia. So, sorry uh the letter W is not in the Slovenian alphabet, and of course, what does Michael Moore say? He said, "Did did you do that because of Bush?" Yeah, and as the uh, it's like re- Andy Borowitz would not even have put that uh, in the, an article. The, the, the excellent review of this film in uh, film comment a uh, reverse reverse shot a reverse shot noted that like the the humor in this movie you know it rivals like the things that would arrive in your inbox circa 2004 with like the subject line forward 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 re bush joke i just want to read a paragraph from that reverse shot article by uh violet luca so the first paragraph she writes like all great showmen michael moore knows to make his audience wait in his introduction for the first public New York Film Festival screening of Where to Invade Next, Moore, in his everyday Midwesterner uniform, gym shorts, ultra-baggy jeans, wrinkled black t-shirt, and camo trucker hat, <laughs> regaled the eager crowd for ten or so minutes. At one point, he talked about how he'd installed an empty theater seat inside the van that he and the crew drove across Europe while making Where to Invade Next, to remind them for whom they were really making the film— as the well-heeled around me burst into applause, possibly because, like those poor deluded people in Kansas who go red, they also enjoy voting against their own economic self-interest by choosing Democrat, <laughs> I didn't feel lost or misrepresented, but like I was in a time warp. Didn't we move past this conceited liberalism when Air America went off the air? <laughs> yeah, I think that that's exactly right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this was kind of, in my review, also my kind of overall take on the movie is that, like, Michael Moore is someone who I think has really, I mean, up to the Obama presidency anyway, he really kind of cleaved to the zeitgeist of American liberalism, whatever the kind of, uh, you know, take du jour was, he really held to it. Mm -hmm. But when this film came out, we were already in the early months of the Bernie Sanders insurgency, and, you know, more, like I said in the review, to his credit, like, did endorse Bernie. But if he's matured alongside a streak of liberalism that ostensibly is kind of populist, ostensibly aspires to something more than the kind of anemic horizons that are offered by the Democratic Party, like, it's really not evident in this film. Like, he just, you know, does the same Michael Moore mm-hmm. thing that we're used to and that we've been complaining about for, like, 16 weeks or whatever. I also think this movie, even more than his others, just shows his utter kind of disrespect and contempt for his audience. Yeah. That line we quoted, I'm here to pick the flowers but not the weeds, I think it just demonstrates that he doesn't trust his audience to be able to reconcile the fact that some things aren't easy. <laughs> That's right. Like, I think throughout this film one of the things that's kind of uncomfortable about watching it is that 
a lot of the people he interviews like do have very interesting things to say. The institutions that he's examining and the values that he's examining are like really laudable. And there is something to be said for just the, even if it's kind of a base project, just introducing Americans to European social democracy. But he's unable to do that in a way that doesn't just idealize things to the point of absurdity. And like this reaches a nadir in the Norwegian segment where he's interviewing the father of a boy who was murdered by Anders Breivik and he just keeps hurling at this guy. Um, I know I've said this almost every week when we reviewed a Michael Moore movie, but this is the worst scene in any Michael Moore movie. Yeah. Like, this is the famous Oslo massacre. And Michael, like, we've been inviting you to come on, but, like, you can, like, fight, like, fight me. Like, seriously. Yeah. Like, what the fuck are you Explain yourself. But the segment about Norway is that Norway has a very humane prison system where there's a maximum sentence of 21 years and, and they can't serve any more than that. And... They really believe in prison as rehabilitation. But this even applies to the perpetrator of the Oslo massacre. And this father of one of the murdered children believes that, yes, this man should have a fair trial and should serve 21 years and should be try to be rehabilitated. So Michael Moore, doing his patented ugly American shtick, keeps saying, but... But he murdered your child. He, he Like, he's one step away he, from... He <laughs> murdered your child. He killed but, your son. Wouldn't you he, wish that your son had a gun, not a cell phone? He actually says that. And, like, it's one thing when you're joking about, you know, you're talking to a factory Or you're talking owner. about French school meals and you're yeah. like... Well, yeah, you're telling me you don't serve your kids deep-fried food you in say, France? You give them camembert instead? Like, yeah, so, yeah. That, so that's one thing. But when you're talking, like, this bereaved father this, this, it's like this, fuck you this man's son was murdered by a you know like neo-nazi a, like a neo-nazi who tried to murder the future leaders of the norwegian labor party in the interest of like preserving white christian europe and the father of this murdered boy really i think preserves his dignity in an incredible way like he mm. he is actually just like so many of the people in this movie are like actually a testament to like they really mm. embody the institutions that moore is ostensibly yeah. invading and stealing i think it's a shame that we just had to listen to him talking to michael moore yeah like it it really it really is um and yeah like this is one of the worst things i've ever seen <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, yeah you know i would endorse yeah, that definitely yeah yeah it's it's really bad so, I don't know, let's just run through, like, we need to talk about the conclusion of the film, but before we do that, I think we should run through a few of the other kind of vignettes and talk about some of the problems, because there are, like, mm. some of them are, are, like, throwaway, and some of them, I think, like, I think, like, overall, a lot of these are, they're concerned with institutions that are laudable in the abstract, but, you know, I think it would be fair to say, in general, that he really kind of overplays his hand in a, in a lot of these so where do we go after Italy? Well, if you can remember. Uh, we go to France. In France, they have very nutritious school lunches. Uh, in fact, lunch, according to him, I don't even know if it's true, but according to Michael Moore, lunch is, in fact, part of the curriculum in France, and they don't just outsource it to you know fast food companies. Mm-hmm. Um, Not, none of which exist in France, by the way. They don't... Oh my god, this is so... Okay, this is a great case of him overplaying his hands. We we learn uh, when he, um, you know, offers a French schoolgirl Coca-Cola, and she, you know, her kind of facial expression is like, 
What's that? What is this cretinous right. beverage that you've like thrust in my face? You drink Coca-Cola? No. You don't, no, no Coca-Cola? No? Coca-Cola, you don't drink? You don't drink Coca-Cola? No. Nobody drinks Coca-Cola? Uh, here. Try this, try this. No. No. Want to try Coca-Cola? Or he's talking to um, the chef at the school and saying, Now, you're telling me you've never had a Whopper. Come on, you've never had a Whopper? And the chef is like, Well, no, of course, we have not had the hamburger. We have never had the hamburger. And and first of all, we all know that they have a Royale with cheese in... Yeah, like, for fuck's sake. Like, 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 do you think I'm that fucking stupid? Yeah. They have fast food in France. yeah. Yeah. And this is, again, him condescending to these Europeans that he's talking to. He creates this vision of, like, well, you know, these Europeans, they're they are simple folk yeah. who don't have fast food like we do. It really is, like, Orientalism. Yeah, like, and it's fucking I'm terrible. all for kids having, you know, nutritious Obviously, school lunches. Yeah. But then he, he can't even leave it at that. Yeah. He has to do this dumb bullshit. Like, I do think there's, beyond that, there's, like also a problem with just like the level of analysis in this film is like he shows us the american uh, equivalent of the delicious food and the nutritious food these french kids are eating but it's like it's just there for shock value like mm-hmm. he might have pointed out that a lot of the like my high school for example uh even in canada which like michael moore like constantly like jerks off to um, mercifully absent from this film yeah you're right <laughs> there's no masturbation in this film yeah. um like you know, my high school had private company that came in like i mean the stuff that we ate was pretty bad but well, actually both my high schools in stratford and in hamilton like we ate like poutine we ate burgers we ate a lot it was basically fast food and then there were like these vegetarian options that were just like barely palatable so sure. like of course like you salty broccoli or whatever yeah like base yeah like broccoli with like cheese melted on them. if you're yeah. vegan there's like no option or whatever like he might have raised the fact that one of the reasons for this is that like that food is so bad in a lot of american high schools and in my experience canadian high schools as well and probably elementary schools too is that like it's provided by private companies it's like schools are strapped for cash school boards are strapped for cash they they bring in private companies to provide uh you know food services and of course like private companies is like they're they have no interest in giving kids nutritious food right like they're thinking about their balance sheets so it's like what can we sell kids and like when i was in high school certainly like I remember thinking it was really luxurious to eat, like, a bacon double cheeseburger. And this is a problem with the analysis in this film, is that it never transcends this base, just kind of shock value stuff. And it's true, the food uh, portion, you know, we won't do it for all the other ones, but it's true of the, you know, Norwegian prisons, the Icelandic feminism, uh... So, in the Norwegian prison uh, section... He shows us how humane the prison system is where, you know, everyone's got this. It looks like a dorm, basically. The prisoners all have, like... More luxurious than my college dorm at University College. Yeah, they they have these... Like, legitimately. They have all these beautiful laptops, and we see them, like, biking around the grounds, and... You know, they, they have these beautiful ketchup dispensers in the, yeah. <laughs> the cafeteria. They're quite, quite phallic ketchup dispensers. In my yeah, mind. we see Michael Moore, like, pressing on the ketchup dispenser... As if it were a big old dick. <laughs> 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 
but yeah, I mean, life looks just be. I'd trade my life for for one of these prisoners. And th- and this is like as you mentioned during the movie, there are a couple of moments in this movie where a lot of points in the movie where if a conservative wanted to make fun of these like bleeding heart liberals, they could point to this. And as I watch these like these murderers in the Norway prison. Oh, you know, man. biking around the grounds. Like, part of me watches it, and it's like, what the fuck is this? There's a scene where <laughs> where they're, like, the prisoners, the inmates, are in a kitchen. Which, by the way, like, Will and I and Jasmine are sitting in, like, my kitchen right now. Oh, in yeah. My, in my junior bachelor apartment here in uh, downtown Toronto. Uh, which, you know, any listeners, and Michael Moore, and Werner Herzog, and Noam Chomsky, and the other people who I know listen to the show are welcome to visit. Um, <laughs> but, like, it's like... The kitchen in this movie is, like, more luxurious than... And this yeah. dude, this dude, his name is probably, like, you know, like, Butch Meathook or something, <laughs> is, like, with a tattoo on his face, is, like, wielding a butcher's knife. And Michael Moore is basically saying to him, like, you know, so, like, you did a, like, Jack Nicholson in The Shining and, like, you hacked your family to death. He doesn't quite say that. Yeah. But it's, like... Like, and you're making, you know, medium rare steak with a knife. Like, should I be scared? And the guy's like, no, I'm not yeah. scared. And, and he's like, you're not scared for me? No. And I'm not scared for me either. And there's, and there's like actually a shot with all these knives. And it is just kind of like, fuck you. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, like I'm watching like, this. It honestly like, looks like a country club. And yeah. I, I'm, I'm watching it and, and thinking there's got to be some punishment component yeah. to murdering like, someone. I, I'm 100%. Like, like, the thing is... I'm sorry if I sound reactionary no, saying no, this, but... No, it's like the thing is, like, this film, you know, we see a segment of, like, the way Norway dealt with the Anders Breivik uh, mass murders, you know. And in my opinion, from what I've seen, like, the way Norway dealt with this is, like, really an inspiration to the world. Like, I think it's really incredible the fact that they treat it as a as a national tragedy but you know even the as the father of the murdered uh boy says in the film like the establishment of the country even the establishment treated it this as like we have to understand you know he doesn't say it quite this way but like sociologically we have to kind of grasp why this happened we have to think about what the institutions kind of undergirding the country are that allowed this to happen but also how do we address this norway suffered a brutal attack on its values and on on it really on its political class which it might have dealt with in a kind of george bush post 9-11 type of way and instead i think it chose to from what i've seen you know build on it in the most constructive way possible Michael Moore barely deals with this. Instead, we just get this kind of, like, reductive caricature of, like, here are Norwegian prisons where the prisoners, they live more luxuriously than, like, if you're, like, a middle-class person in the United States. So, like, what's the deal? Yeah. You know, like, I mean, that's basically what it is. And it's really annoying. Like, I think you can believe that, um, you know, carceral institutions are basically about rehabilitation and that like they're only punitive in the most minimal way possible and not present such like a reductive caricature and if you're trying to convince people that a brutal prison system is a bad idea michael moore does like the exact opposite of what you need to do where, yeah where prisoners are eating better and living better than middle class 60 percent of america yeah, americans <laughs> and anders Breivik, by the way 
you know, I've been reading, a, you know, he's complained a bunch about that he doesn't have, like, enough video games to play <sighs> in his prison cell, which I've seen, by the way, and is, like, more luxurious than my dorm in first <laughs> and second year university. Um, I believe that Anders Breivik is entitled to a fair trial with the most robust defense that he mm. could possibly have. I basically think the defense that can be offered for him is, like, criminal insanity. But it's, like... This we kind of like, like wielding you know his like luxurious kind of prison compound as mm-hmm. like some kind of beacon of like like as some kind of great example to the world is like maybe sending the wrong message and is maybe counterproductive to what Michael Moore is arguing in this film. Is all I'm saying. There's another. I agree with everything you said. Uh, there's another scene in this section. I mean, Michael Moore is the poet of just heavy leaden irony. <laughs> We, well, okay, maybe we said that the Norwegian dad interviews the nadir of this movie. Maybe this may, maybe the, this might yeah. actually be. <laughs> but uh, so we see there's a maximum security prison that he visits where the uh, warden and uh, the prison workers have created this this video that they show prisoners of them all singing "We Are the World." Basically, to show that it's a nice, humane prison system. Hey, la di la. Yeah, yeah. It's a humane prison system where we're all here to be rehabilitated. And Michael Moore takes the music of "We Are the World" and plays it over images of like genuinely disturbing. Uh, yeah, awful images of mostly black prisoners yeah. in the U.S. prison system being beaten and stripped, stripped and naked, humiliated. And, yeah. And these are images that should not be used lightly, in my opinion. And, you know, just incredibly disturbing under any circumstance. And to have them in this kind of nudge-nudge context, this ironic context. And also, like, you know, it's bad enough that these people were beaten and humiliated just in real life. But then to have it put in a movie yeah basically just as a prop for Moore's agenda. Yeah, I I agree. I think it's just disgusting. And also, this... Is also true of the movie's opening credits, where Moore shows a montage of basically all of America's ills. He scores it to the music from Inception, and we see, uh, you know, the Mike Brown yeah. murder. Uh, which is very, very Which is disturbing. upsetting to yeah. watch. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I think I think Moore, frankly, ought to be ashamed of himself for using the footage like this. Yeah, I mean, I thought of the moment in Fahrenheit 9-11 where uh, Michael Moore cut from a a really kind of brutal montage of, I believe it was, you know, kind of U.S. destruction of Iraq, civilian casualties, that kind of thing, to, like, Dick Cheney and George Bush, like, photoshopped onto cowboys. Yeah, right. Um, And I think that the aesthetic of Michael Moore is really put on steroids in this film, Mm. where if there's one problem with the aesthetic of Moore, it's that these kind of, you know, segues... These really awkward segues between his kind of catty humor that he doesn't really pull off and these scenes of kind of abject brutality, which he deploys for, you know, emotional effect. There's a moment like that in the Germany segment where uh, there's this whole section about, you know, a factory that makes pencils, which has uh, positive relations with its labor union. And then in more in his narration says something along the lines of, but it wasn't always like this in Germany. They didn't used to make pencils. They used to make documentaries. And then it cuts to Hitler in Triumph of the Will. Well, Lenny Riefenstahl. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, the Germany segment's also pretty bad. And then it becomes very, like, you know, maudlin, 
All of these school children learn about the realities of the Holocaust, mm. not whitewashed, not sanitized. You yeah. know, dead, d- that deadly serious, like, treacly Michael Moore style. Yeah, and, like, once again, like, the idea that he's kind of putting forth here is, like, a really good, or, well, the idea that Germany's putting forth here is a really good one, but he treats it in such a kind of, uh, on a florid way that it's it's pretty hard to take seriously and i think that's consistent throughout the rest of the vignettes in this film yeah what else haven't we covered uh i guess there's the excursion to tunisia yeah there's tunisia there's iceland what happens in finland again (laughs) finland we learn that uh standardized tests are bad and they're giving uh students homework is bad we, oh, yeah. le- we, we learned in Iceland. This is more liberal bullshit where, yeah. <laughs> where, where they have three hours of school a day, one, one hour of which is the lunch hour, and the other two hours are like learning about poetry. <laughs> yeah. uh, listen, I'm sorry, yeah, guys. You, you, but... you have, you have, you have uh, 10 minutes of education a day where you're just read like William Blake by like a siren. Yeah, and then, and, and, you, then, and, then and then you learn to bake a cake. And... Yeah, and and then and then you go home with like basically like a nutritious school meal is injected into your veins by like a state bureaucrat. Yeah, apparently yeah. Finland has the number one education system in the world. Yeah. I think because the test must be so easy over there. That's right. Like if you bake a cake, you get a hundred out of a hundred. Well, like they do away standardized tests, but then like, yeah. of course what Michael Moore doesn't tell you is that because like, the students are just like. Well, we don't give, like, A, B, C, or D. We just give the answer. But what he doesn't tell you is that the question is just what's one plus one over yeah. and over again. That's why Finland is the dominant force on the world stage. That ge- just ge- now. Ge- Geopolitically, yeah. Oh, and he also makes yeah. the hilarious argument. Isn't it this the country <laughs> where where basically they do away with private schools and all racism classes are in the same school and because of that because you know rich white kids have to be in school with poor black kids that means that they'll be less likely to discriminate when they get older right which i'm sure is exactly what happens (laughs) Well, don't tell uh, liberal hero Samantha B and her husband, a uh, fellow <laughs> yeah. Daily Show writer whose name I can't remember, who are... Jason Jones. Jason Jones. Who are right. currently fighting to keep New York schools segregated. Segregated, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so maybe Finland does have something to the United States. I mean, let's not go through... People, you know, people can... I, I People can watch this movie if they, they want. Watch it's movie. on Netflix. Or watch it while you're doing your laundry. <laughs> if they want to take five minutes and just read my review for uh, Jacob, and they can go through, like, the individual segments in this, which yeah. I talked about. Let's talk about the conclusion of this film. Um, so, well, there's really two conclusions. Mm-hmm. Each uh, one the, better than the last. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so what's the first conclusion, Will? So he goes to Iceland, which has uh, a mostly female-led government. This is where Mike gets really woke. Uh, <laughs> he, he makes the argument that, you know, maybe if we just had a few more women in power, we'd have less wars. Right. And uh, in Finland, they prosecuted their corruption, whereas in, <laughs> in America, the executives who led to the financial collapse you know have fancy jets now that's right and there are no female white collar criminals uh, as long as we skip over elizabeth holmes yeah and that whole, yeah like, so, uh, so there's yeah. this you know wonderful part where he has a screen uh on the screen just like you know, I don't know 20 or 30 pictures of all the women who have been presidents uh or prime ministers in various countries and I don't know, I, I didn't pause it. I, I don't know if I saw uh, Margaret Thatcher's face there. But basically, yeah, he makes yeah. he makes the argument that, you know, I, honestly, it's like a pretty retrograde argument. Yeah. To be, it, 
disguised as a woke well, argument. Well, it's, it's gender essentialism, I think, which is the big it, thing, right? He basically is saying, you know, women are more naturally nurturing. Women and do caring. things by consensus, and yeah. like they, yeah, and and um, and they're more thoughtful. That men, you know, if, if I can quote the poet Tim Allen, uh, uh, men are pigs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, like I think that like the problem with this. Like, I, I don't know. Like, actually, my big problem with this segment, I have to say, is the way Michael Moore treats the Icelandic women's strike in, I think, 1975. It's like he just... Like, there's there's something so powerful about this historical event, mm-hmm. and yet he treats it with kind of about 30 seconds of reverence. Mm-hmm. And there's no nuance to it. It's like... Like, the various women interviews, like, all the other people in this film, like, the woman in... The journalist in Tunisia, like, the father in Norway, etc., etc. In in uh, Iceland, we get the first female uh, president of any country. Or prime minister. I or prime minister, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, we get this kind of take where it's just like, well, you know, if women go on strike as they did in 1975... You know the country stops working, which you know is obviously like a very, very, very valuable insight. But there's no context provided for this this incident. There's no kind of sense that there was mobilization that went into this. You know, like what is the history of Icelandic women's liberation? Because I'd really like to know. And mm-hmm. Michael Moore doesn't provide us with this. And I think this gets at what, uh, bef- like before we get to the conclusion of the film like beyond the incredibly ra- reactionary conclusion to this film mm. like what gets it like my really big problem with it which is this idea and this is kind of was the thesis of my review is like you know this idea that progress just happens because of common sense and it happens because one day people just woke up and they mm. were like and they were like this isn't right you know yeah, <laughs> this yeah. isn't right we're a chisel away from yeah. uh, the end we'll of history. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, know, you know, I'm sure this was the uh, the, the rallying cry of, like, the uh, oppressed kind of working working class of, like, ancient Athens. They were just like, we have to take a chisel to the wall. Or the, you know, the uh, exploited migrant mm-hmm. workers who built the hanging gardens of Babylon. They yeah. were just like, they were just like, you know what? This isn't right. But Feminism is yeah. great. We should have... Anti post colonialism is great. We like they they invented Edward Said in three thousand BCE. Mm-hmm. That's why, that's why. Like, th- but th- there's, there's no sense that there's no sense that there's like a process and no. there's a struggle. Like this is again him being kind of condescending to these Europeans right, exactly. that he interviews, where it's this idea that they're kind of these like noble savages right. who they, just from the beginning of time have always thought that well, of course we have unions, right? Of exactly. course we have eight hour work days. Exactly. There's no sense. There's no. There's no gender analysis. There's no racial analysis. There's no class analysis. It's just like one day we got these things because of common sense. Because one day every woman in Iceland, or like ninety percent of them, woke up and just was like, you know what? I'm sick of being oppressed by men. I'm sick of like phallic symbols being on every road sign or whatever. Mm-hmm. We just have to do something about this. And you know what? That incident is a really important thing in Icelandic history and I think world history because like literally like 90% or more of Icelandic women went on strike. Mm. And I would really like to know the historical process that led up to that happening, but we don't learn it from this film. And I think mm-hmm. that gets at what the biggest problem with this film is, which is really evident in the 
first of the two jarring crescendos with which this film finishes. So okay. that's the first will. So you may think that Luke is exaggerating, but no. I but I swear to God, uh, this movie ends with Michael Moore and one of his friends walking past what remains of the Berlin Wall. Ugh. It turns Ugh. out they they happen to be in Germany promoting Roger and me around the time the Berlin Wall fell, or at least he claims he was. God, God only knows. You yeah, can't, not, you, you, you that's can't, not real. You can't trust a word Moore says. Again, but, Michael, if you want to defend that point on the podcast, fight me. This is how he attributes the falling of the Berlin Wall. He says, you know, when I was growing up, the one thing that we always knew for sure was that the Berlin Wall would never fall. It was permanent. It was immobile. But then one day, somebody came with a hammer and a chisel and started chiseling away. And then another person came. And then another. And soon, the wall came down. And it goes to show you that there are simple solutions to things. Hammer chisel down freedom yeah <laughs> and like does he actually is he actually this stupid does he actually uh, think this i i mean like <laughs> i think this gets at the the uh, central question of this podcast well yeah i mean this is the reactionary liberal epistemology of michael moore which is the idea that like and i'm not being i like i know we're really ironic on this podcast but like in all seriousness this is a way of thinking about politics that puts social transformation and change and progress down to a brilliant man had an idea and he just decided you know one day a guy with spiky hair mm-hmm. who in east berlin was you know just sick of having to uh deal with like uh the stasi or whatever and he just got up and he took a single nail which was all you know, his <laughs> yeah. private property in communist east germany yeah and he decided you know, i'm gonna use the, i'm gonna do my part to mm-hmm. chip away in an individualized way against structural injustice um and and like it's gonna change the world and believe it or not that's what happened you know the the noble savages in east berlin rose up with their you know hammers Mm -hmm. but not their sickles and they and they and they dealt with it's a good uh, thing there were no guards on the wall with tommy guns to just mow them (laughs) all down exactly Um, but but of course you may think okay these europeans Clearly, these ideas were in their DNA. This is they, re- they sprang from the womb <laughs> yeah. as members of unions. This is re- yeah, but they, but not they, not they, the they case. Just, they just like were birthed um, from their like incredibly like feminist mothers being like solidarity forever and singing like Pete Seeger and Woody Guthrie songs <laughs> yeah. and like chanting like all you fascists bound to lose. But there is one more reactionary conclusion contained in this film which we haven't addressed yet. So, well, what what happens next in this? Well, uh, in this it turns adventure? out, you know, May Day, it was created in Chicago. That's where the eight-hour workdays were negotiated well, by the unions. You know, equal equal rights amendment. People were people were campaigning for equal rights in America before they even had it in Europe. Right. You know, all, all of these ideas, uh, humane treatment of prisoners. That was that was in the Constitution. Right. All of these ideas are American ideas, don't you see? Yeah. And you know, it's just like it's just like Judy Garland in Oz. You know, we we had we had the ability to go back to Kansas anytime we wanted to. All we had to do was click our heels. Yeah. They got big trouble over there too. I mean, they have yeah. racism. They have absolutely. They have economic issues. And I say that they in, I they say don't that. treat their immigrants very well. I say that in the movie, but I'm there to pick the flowers, not the weeds. I mean, just they. If, if a documentary filmmaker from uh, Austria came here to make a documentary on the genius of the iPhone or Silicon Valley, you wouldn't say to him, "Well, how come you haven't pointed out that there's been over 300 mass shootings in the U.S. just this year?" 
What's that got to do with the iPhone? I mean, it's kind of like, yes, they have their problems, but I'm there to show you how they've taken actually a lot of original American ideas and, and they treat their people better. Let's share a couple of anecdotes, which I actually think are relevant to these points uh, about, so we saw this film just over a year ago. Mm. I've seen it once since um, because I spent some time in Guantanamo Bay. <laughs> yeah. Um, we saw it with, I guess you, you might say, an audience of, of um, sort of middle-aged or late middle-aged liberals who were very impressed with its message. I think it was maybe the worst audience yeah, I've ever seen a film with. worst audience in a film. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess a few things happened. So one of them was that uh, as we were leaving the film and I was sharing, you know, what at the time I think were, because I didn't know how you felt about it, so I was being, you know, pretty diplomatic uh, my reservations about the film and as we're walking down young street uh this kind of boomer couple that was walking in front of us the the the, the patriarch turned to me and he went huh, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about and uh he was very offended by my yeah. points about the movie really he was really angry um and i think i said to him like well i'm glad you enjoyed the movie or something and, yeah and and we went i you know like um I could have been, I could have been ruder, but like I'm a good Christian boy, so I kept <laughs> it to myself. But you know, so that's like one of the things that happened, and I think that the the other people we saw the movie with were like genuinely impressed by it. It was it was a crowd pleaser. Yeah, yeah. It was a real it was a real. All of his stupid jokes got yeah. me laughs. But the other thing that I think is the other anecdote that I think is germane to kind of the thesis we've been getting at is that while we were waiting in line, it was a very long line. It was at uh, Ryerson University. We are all the way around, you know, like we're, you know, like wrapped, around Church Street, wrapped around a city block. And as we're going to the movie, we don't know anything about it. At this point, I'm still thinking it's called Where to Invade Next. This is an anti-war movie. It's going to be promising. It's like, you know, uh, it's a Fahrenheit 9-11 for the Obama era. Moore is going to finally, you know, burst from, uh, you know, his uh, cocoon of, you know, partisan American liberalism. But you had a very prescient comment as we're going to the movie, which was there's going to be a, you said something like there's going to be a, uh, we're not in Kansas anymore moment in this film. And I was kind of like, wow. You know, well, no, it was the idea that we had Kansas. We had the ability to go to Kansas inside well, us whenever, the whole time. Whenever we want. We're not in Kansas yeah. anymore. We're going to go back because we had Kansas inside of us all the time. I didn't and, actually expect the movie to end with footage no, from the Wizard but, like, of Oz. Literally, <laughs> there is Wizard of Oz footage at the end of the yeah. movie. So the central conceit of this film for like two excruciating hours mm -hmm. is that the United States has things to learn about the rest of the world. And where does it end? It ends on the idea that all these things that we went out into the world to find, they were here first and we believed them and we knew about them and we did them before any of these like mm -hmm. savages across the Atlantic ever did. And I think this kind of final jarring crescendo of like Yankee exceptionalism makes the film worse than you could conceivably mm -hmm. imagine. And I, I, I hate it. I fucking hate it. I was talking to a, to a friend who had just seen this movie on Netflix and she said, um, I don't know. I kind of liked it. Sometimes I just like hearing what I believe said back to me. I swear. I swear to God. Um, right. And I don't know what to say to that except that I'm smarter than this. Yeah, I mean, I like liturgy. I like going into uh, 
you know, uh, church every Sunday, which is something I definitely do. And hearing from, you know, the priest that the four cent biscuit that I'm eating is like <laughs> the, the fucking body of Christ. Uh, I'm sorry, mom. It makes me, yeah, it makes me feel real good. I love liturgical kind of, uh, exercises. <laughs> you know what, you know what I like, you know, I, I actually, like, I think that one of the biggest problems with modernity is kind of this <laughs> critical edge that's contained within it. And like, yeah. what I hate about it is like, like I go to see movies, you know, I listen to, albums by these like rock groups like <laughs> the rolling stones um, oh, yeah, and yeah. others and like i don't want to hear like that they're talking about the midnight midnight rambler or whatever the fuck i just want my prejudices confirmed because like that's <laughs> why i go to art like and i'm really sick of you know filmmakers and others like so-called artists who are like who think that um we want anything other than the body of Christ when we watch a movie. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, but I will say, Michael um, Moore is, is a problem in defense of the film. I thought his long hair was really cool. And I, I loved the shade of gold that he dyed it to now here at the Michael Luke's shaking his head. He doesn't like that. Well, I mean, long hair. I mean, like you want to talk about the problems with modernity is people can just dress the way they want, look what they want. Like, it's oh, just, I don't like it. Oh, you, you, you were, you were face shaming John Travolta last week. So I think I'm allowed to make fun of John, of Michael Moore's stupid hair. <laughs> Anyway, we, we've had a real roller coaster of a ride um, on the Michael and Us podcast. We've, we finally just about hit the present day. There is one more, well, possibly two more episodes. <laughs> like, w w if, if possibly you, like 50 more. Who knows? But, yeah, but yeah. I mean, it, first of all, a, a bonus episode may be uh, in the pipeline at some point. If you Let's just say that if you enjoyed our, dis our discussion of. 2016 obama's america yeah. you we may have you something may or may not enjoy a discussion so, something else i'm not gonna reveal what it is but something along those lines may be coming down the pike yeah and uh also michael moore i think maybe as we speak or certainly this week is recording a new uh one-man show tv special he called it a one-man show because stand-up comedy act would probably be a misnomer yeah uh i'm sure it's just like utter, yeah, liberal use of the word comedy. utter utter yeah. tripe but he's gone to a conservative district in i think idaho Cl clinton county it's clinton called, county right. yeah yeah to basically so it's a little little irony there to you, make yeah, the case that yeah. that they should not vote yeah. for donald trump mm -hmm. and you know when i michael moore he's just a working man from michigan just a, a regular guy in blue jeans just and a, a ball cap Adam, Mother Jones, yeah. Yeah. he's the guy who can go down to the to the noble savages of rural america and <laughs> and make the case for hillary clinton so we're going to talk about that it's it's taping this week i assume it's going to be released before yeah. the election so that's that's what to expect from us in the future yeah and uh, I want to say thanks, a little bit of housekeeping, just thanks to all the folks who've tweeted at uh, Michael Moore Flint to ask him to appear on this podcast. Like, we know that he's a little backlogged. We know he's, we know he's heard your pleas and he's just kind of waiting like till after his stand-up show is done to appear. Mm -hmm. But, you know, please keep at it. You know, he just needs, you know, a few more prods. Michael, you know, we know you're listening. Please uh, join us. We'd really, like, in all seriousness. I know that we were really hard on you this episode. You. Yeah. Um, You've clearly, listen, nobody in the year 2016 takes you as seriously as we do. Yeah, so. like, for real. <laughs> so take what you can get. Um, until next time, uh, I was Luke Savage. And I was Will Sloan.
Now watch this drive. <laughs>